This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great on this rainy day. How are you? Good. I wonder why it keeps raining, but I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have anything that you want to touch base on? Uh, Somebody drove their car drunk in the week when a bagel last night. Oh, that is dramatic. It was. And a lot. They swam to shore and got arrested. Oh my god! I don't think I, I think I would drown. Just yeah, their, ca- their car is submerged in eight to twelve feet of water. Oh my god! The divers were trying to get it out. Oh my gosh! They went down there to make sure there was nobody else in the car. Yeah, that would have been terrible. Yeah, nobody else was in the car. But I'm like, how? Right. How do you mistake the lake for the road? They're gonna. Sir? They're gonna have a hefty <laughs> fine. Yeah. I was like, I hope that they hire the firm that I consult for so I can hear all about it. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's something. Yeah. What else? The other night, there was somebody in Appleton that went into some kind of business with a knife, and then they fled, and it was right by the PAC. Oh. So. Oh, I think I know which business you're talking about. Over by my friend's apartment. Oh my gosh. And he had called me because he knows I'm nosy. Yeah, yeah. He's like, all of APD is outside. Oh my gosh. With their guns and their shields. And so, being the good friend that he is, he went downstairs with the <laughs> FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> I would sure enough have binoculars. He's like, I know you love a good murder mystery. Absolutely. So, I'm going to show you what's going on because I know it's 8 o'clock and you won't leave your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So. Oh my gosh. I got to witness them trying to find the guy until my friend got yelled at. <laughs> back upstairs. Oh my gosh. So it was very dramatic. Yeah. That happened kind of, kind of to me. It, there was no knife, but I live by a Walmart and, mm-hmm. oh no, not Walmart, Walgreens. And the, these girls must have stolen from that and ran in the neighborhood in the vicinity Mm -hmm. of this Walgreens yeah and they were running in my backyard and then in my neighbor's backyard who I was friendly with so we were just like on the phone like (laughs) do you know what's happening because we've just seen these girls like running around and I'm like should I be like doing something (laughs) and I just like shouted out of my window hey (laughs) that's as involved that, that I got though one night, all of APD was outside of my house. Not my house particularly, but Your on neighbor. my block. Yeah. My whole block was shut down. Oh my god. And there was at least 14 squads outside. 
with their guns out, like their rifles out. That sounds like a terrorist up threat. and down the street. Oh my god! And me and the kids were all sitting on the kitchen floor, peeking out the window. Yeah, that's so scary. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm on the watch. Did you ever find out? Somebody around the corner apparently had a gun and wasn't supposed to, and may have threatened somebody. Oh jeez! But. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. Appleton Police Department is going to come with the full force of the law. Yeah, they're going to show it. Yeah, they're going to lay their dick right on the table. <laughs> you're going to know you're safe. Yeah, right. Your PD shows up safe. <laughs> um, like no bad guys around here because we have thirty-two cops on one block. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Sometimes I appreciate it. Yeah, it brings absolutely. me great amusement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have one thing. What do you have? I am getting kind of annoyed with this, uh, these pictures circulating of this little kid dressed up as Dahmer. Yeah. I'm getting really annoyed because he has blood on him. Mm -hmm. He obviously has, like, the look, and then he's holding a drill. Yeah. And I think that's highly offensive and morbid and, Mm -hmm. like, the kid probably doesn't even know what it all means and if he does that's i feel bad for the kid because Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be tainted that way right and it's just so tasteless yeah and there's some kind of tiktok trend where people are posting pictures like Dahmer, because my daughter had showed me like her anti trend post that she made because she hated it too she's 13 and she's like this is disgusting yes don't fetish fetishize oh my gosh i can't say it um the people that do horrendous thing it's not a trend it's not something to like it's not a fad it's simply tragedy and you're Mm -hmm. making it into something that people laugh at or think it's i don't know not as grotesque as it is right i don't know if people are just so desensitized they don't it seems that way yeah it totally seems that way yeah and we i mean we do this and we talk about every aspect but almost every time we say that it's all about the victims right never about the fucking monsters so right and if that's not clear I hope it's clear now. Yeah, it's definitely clear. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I seen that and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong yeah. with people? Yeah. Not My even like a guy said the did same that. thing. She's like, this is all disgusting. Mm-hmm. Why do people keep acting like this is cute? Mm-mm. And it's not like they did like Freddy Krueger or Jason or yeah. uh, Michael Myers, like fictional murderers i mean that would have been so much better than an actual person that i think people are treating it like this is fictional and this is real life and their victims families are still around and still hurting and getting re-traumatized constantly constantly and especially with how with the releases of new series and movies and i'm sure this is gonna obviously open up wounds because seeing people dressed up as somebody's killer and god Mm -hmm. forbid that the families see this and then they also have to picture it all over again like how it just uh, it made me so mad yeah me too 
So that's it for me. Okay. I am going to jump back into uh, the victims. Um, it's basically the same sources. And I do, I did add um, the Charlie Project, People.com, Women's Health Magazine, IMBD, uh, Men's Health, and Wikipedia. Okay. So this, we're starting with David Courtney Thomas. He didn't have a permanent address at the time of his disappearance, but he had lived off of an on-again, off-again girlfriend for years. Uh, David Thomas was a father to three-year-old Cortia Beanland when he disappeared. He was described by his ex-girlfriend, Chandra, to be a fun-loving guy with a pension for hustling. (laughs) which I kind of loved. Yeah. Um, She stated, I try to go on with my life, but I can't let it go. Every man I meet, I think of David. He's in my dreams, end quote. Although it wasn't unusual for him to be in and out of people's lives for weeks at a time, Chandra did report him missing and the suggestion of his parole, at the suggestion of his parole officer within the first month of his disappearance. Which I'm glad that he was like, yeah, no, like, this has been a a while. Maybe you should. Right. In September 24th, 1990, he somehow met David. um, And then he went back to Jeffrey's residence. So Jeffrey did confess to murdering him. And his family did identify him from a photo that was found in Jeffrey's possession. Although in the pictures he was dismembered, his remains were never found. In court, David's mother, Ines Thomas, stated, You took away his two-year-old's father. She sits at the window asking, Where is Dada? When is Dada coming? And I think that is a sad thing for a child to see, to go through all of her life not knowing her father. I want to thank the jury for seeing this man for what he is, a sneaky, conniving person, end quote. And he was murdered at the age of 23. Next is Curtis Durrell Schroeder. He also went by Demetra and Curta. So I'm going to go by Curtis. Okay. Curtis was born on April 6, 1973 as a Wisconsin native. He was known as being zestful and that he had the world at his fingertips. Curtis was a high school dropout who joined the Gay Youth Milwaukee at the age of 15. And he also had a job as a nursing assistant and he lost the job, unfortunately, shortly after um, or sorry, shortly before he disappeared. Although he dropped out, he had plans to get his GED and uh, was going to modeling school. He lived with his grandmother and his mother at the time of his disappearance. On March 7th, 1991, Curtis was waiting at a bus stop outside of Marquette University when Jeffrey came up to him. He lured Curtis back to his apartment by offering to pay him if he would pose for pictures. Once he got Curtis back to his apartment, he laced his drink, restrained him, and then killed him and 
He then photographed each step of him dismembering his body, and he kept those specific pictures at his bedside table. His mother, Dorothy, stated at the trial, You took my 17-year-old son away from me. You took my daughter's only brother away from her. She'll never have a chance to sing and dance with him again. You took my mother's oldest grandchild from her, and for that I can never forgive you. You almost destroyed me, but I refuse to let you destroy me. I will carry on, end quote. He lost his life at the age of 18. Next is Errol Lindsay. Errol, oh my gosh. Obviously, they all, you know, looking at the pictures breaks my heart, but he had the biggest smile and he his face mm-hmm. just like beamed like the sun that oh. it just broke my heart even more. Okay, so Errol was the youngest of six children He had a job making plaster figures, and it was said that he was very artistic. Lindsay's, I'm sorry, Errol's eighth grade art teacher, Dorothy Klein, had saved a watercolor um, that he had made and shared it with other students. He was also known as a mama's boy, shy and mild mannered. On April 7th, 1991, he went to get a key cut when he crossed paths with Jeffrey. Jeffrey then lured him back to his apartment nearby. He then drugged Errol, but did not continue on with his unusual processes when he has a victim. Errol went through horrendous acts of disturbing violence. Um, If you're, you know, at all triggered by anything that's gruesome, please skip ahead. So Jeffrey kept Errol alive As he decided to enact a cruel experiment on him, he drilled a hole in his head and poured hydrocolic acid into it. Jeffrey's goal was to create a human zombie, basically to have a person in a vegetative state, but still semi-alive. Obviously, you can't withstand being drilled in the head and having acid poured into your brain, so he instantly died. Jeffrey then removed his head and disposed of most of Errol's body. Worst of all, his entire family heard and court exactly what had happened to their beautiful family member. His mother, Mildred Schwartz, stated, I can't understand how it happened, how he met Errol. Errol wasn't the type to just talk to anyone. He went to work and then he came back. He was a mama's boy. He wouldn't even go out with his friends without calling me to see what I was doing, end quote. Errol's sister, Rita Isabel, stated at the trial when family members were given the option to speak, when I think of my brother, I think of how he was such a goofball, and I think he's going to appreciate the fact that I'm still standing for him until my last breath. He knows that I'm still here for him. When I saw some of the show, it bothered me, especially when I saw myself, when I saw my name come across the screen and this lady saying verbatim exactly what I said. If I didn't know any better, I would have thought it was me. Her hair was like mine. She had on the same clothes. That's why I felt like it felt like reliving it all over again. It brought back all the emotions I was feeling back then. I was never contacted about the show. I feel like Netflix should have asked if we mind or how we felt about making it. They didn't ask me anything. They just did it. End quote. That's terrible. No, that's what I'm talking about. Like, 
you people are monetizing over thinking about how this is affecting them and they don't even like say hey can we do this like Mm -hmm. they could have left certain aspects out Mm -hmm. but they didn't even have the courtesy i mean a lot of these documentaries don't have the courtesy to acknowledge the victims and the victim's family right and some of them aren't even true Mm -hmm. like the way that stories are spun in some cases it's crazy that's why i refuse because i started watching it and i refuse to watch the rest of it while i was doing this just so that i don't get any sort of that mixed Mm -hmm. into what i did my research on i wanted it to be purely researched not influenced by any sort of um thing that was made to attract people to watch right like an entertainment yes so yeah Yeah. she at one point even lunged at jeffrey when she heard jeffrey and jeffrey's insanity defense claiming he was out of control she yelled he'll see what's out of control his adult daughter tatiana banks who had never met him as he died before she was born stated honestly ever since that show's been on i haven't been able to sleep i see jeffrey dahmer in my sleep end quote he lost his life at the age of 19 next is tony anthony hughes anthony was born on august 26 1959 he permanently lost his hearing as a baby because of some side effects of medicines that he was being treated for pneumonia that were given to him when he was a child and he was also mute but nothing stopped him as he could read lips and communicate through sign language and written notes. He even graduated from the Wisconsin School for the Deaf. His mother, Shirley Hughes, taught a Bible class at church in Milwaukee, so they were a really religious and God-fearing family. So Anthony had come back home to visit his family in Milwaukee since he had moved to Madison to pursue his modeling career. On May 24th, 1991, during his visit, he crossed paths with Jeffrey. The two met at Club 219, where Anthony talked to him by writing on a notepad, Hmm. which just breaks my heart. He then uh, took Anthony back to his apartment. He drugged him, dismembered his body, and he kept his skull and vertebrae as memorabilia. His family quickly grew anxious with his sudden disappearance and filed a missing persons report. After confirming that the dental records matched Anthony's, his family was notified. During the trial, Shirley was instrumental in her son's case. She quoted a poem written by one of Tony's friends in court, written in the viewpoint of Tony. It goes, Mom, I'm gone. My hope, my breath my want to live have been taken away from me unwillingly but yet i'm not far away when you get cold i wrap my arms around you to warm you if you get sad i i softly grab your heart and cheer you up if you smile i'll smile right along with you when you cry take one teardrop and place it outside of your window ledge and when i pass by i'll exchange it for one of mine two fingers and one thumb mom she then held up two fingers and one thumb the symbol of i love you in sign language Aww. um 
That one really hit me, so I had to take a second. Um, Shirley was always suspicious of foul play since, quote, he took a job, a new job two weeks earlier, but never got his first paycheck. And then she was unable to contact the friend because the only name that she knew was the first name, and that was Jeffrey. Mm. Um, So she was always under the suspicion that he went for this job mm-hmm. and once they went to trial for it, she was like, this all makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, even before the discovery of Anthony's remains in Jeffrey's apartment, his sister deep down in her heart suspected that he would be in the disgusting apartment. Cause um, when they basically found all of this, disgusting stuff in his apartment they aired it on the news Mm. and she was watching it and she's like yeah i bet that he's in there isn't that crazy how people just know yeah i I mean i sometimes get those feelings where i'm like i bet you this i bet you that and Mm -hmm. then it happens and i'm like (laughs) right i freak myself out (laughs) uh she was Uh, also one of the several family members who filed a civil suit against Jeffrey for his crimes. He lost his life at the age of 31 years old. This next one is especially tragic. Um, This one is Kanarek Synth Samophone. So Kanarek's story is uh, especially tragic for two reasons, and we'll get into that later. He was born in 1976, and his family emigrated from Laos in November 1980 due to the political chaos after the communist takeover in 1975, when he was only three years old. They were a humble family of farmers that did everything that they could for their large family, as he was one of nine children. And when they were settled in America, specifically Wisconsin, Kanarek regularly played soccer at Mitchell Park and was a freshman at Pulaski High School. Although they moved to America for better prospects, they did struggle financially and along with his brother, him and his brother tried to help their family as best as they could, you know, being kids. Yeah. Um... Kanarek's name is one of the most familiar in the case of Jeffrey Dahmer. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard his name, but no. I know the story. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. He was the initial thread that pulled back the grotesque curtain on the shit show Jeffrey was doing behind closed doors. On May 27th, 1991, Kanarek was brutally attacked by Jeffrey. However, he was able to run out of the apartment in search of safety. The Milwaukee police found him running in an alley and questioned his behavior. Jeffrey came out behind him and convinced the police that Kanarek was 19 and drunk and that they were boyfriend and boyfriend. Mm-hmm. The police were disturbed by the fact that this was a gay couple and just chalked it up to a domestic disturbance. Right. Then they returned him back to Jeffrey as if he belonged to him. Despite the protests of several African Americans on the scene uh, that what was happening was not okay by any means, mm-hmm. they didn't care. 
The police took Jeffrey's name and other information, but did not write a formal report or run his name through the police database. If only they did their fucking jobs, they would have been made aware that Jeffrey Dahmer had a past conviction from the 1988 sexual molestation of Kanarik's own brother, Simsack. Oh, wow. I didn't know that part. Just the carelessness and the negligence is baffling to me. I heard that they went into the apartment and there was a dead body inside the apartment, but they didn't go in the bedroom. They just went in far enough to see that there was like pictures of the two of them together and they're like oh yeah this is some gay stuff and then they were caught on audio recording saying okay we need to go de-louse ourselves now and just got out of there as quick as they could that's fucked yeah that's pretty much like oh they're gay we don't want to get in trouble for getting in the middle of a gay relationship we're out of here right just do what you want to do we don't care because you're gay right basically so let's talk about uh, Kanarik's brother for just a second here. So, Sumsak met Jeffrey in 1988 when he was only 13 years old. Jeffrey lured him back to his apartment by offering him money in exchange for nude photos. And this goes back to the family not being financially okay, so mm-hmm. the kids just did whatever they could to help out, and unfortunately, this is one of the things. Right. Jeffrey then drugged some sack and sexually abused him. On September 27, 1988, Jeffrey was arrested for second-degree sexual assault and enticing a minor. He was sentenced to one year in prison with work release and five years of probation, but only spent one week in jail before he was released on bail. Jeffrey was still on probation for molesting some sack when he murdered his brother, Kanarik. Jeffrey lured Kanarik in the same way he lured his brother three years after that happened. Except there was a big difference on these separate instances. Jeffrey tortured Kanarik to death. He drugged him, and when he was completely subdued, he started to drill into his skull and then poured acid into the wound, damaging his brain. Kanarik then shot up and ran out of the apartment. So, in 1991, when officers John Belzerzak and Joseph Gambrish responded to a call by Glenda Cleveland, who was the neighbor, about a naked, bleeding Asian boy running through the alley, let him return back to that same person he was running from and did no follow-up, investigating, or even proper reporting. This boy was naked. He looked like he was 14, if you look at his pictures. Yeah. And you're going to tell me you didn't see a drill hole wound in the side of his head bleeding? You got me fucked up. Yeah, they just didn't care. At all. His family filed a civil case against the city of Milwaukee and the police department on the basis of the police failing to uphold Canaric's constitutional right to equal protection and the law based on race, sex, and sexual orientation. The officers asked for the family's claim that they violated due process to be dismissed from the case, arguing that they had qualified immunity as police officers. You can get fucked for that. I hate qualified immunity. The due process claim was dismissed by the judge, but the claim of Canaric's denial of equal protection was not. The case went to trial in March 
1995, the city had agreed to a settlement in which it paid the family $850,000. Wow. Kanarik had lost his life at the age of 14. Next, we are doing Matt Cleveland Turner, who also went by Donald Montrell, which is like, I love how people just have like, <laughs> like a aliases. whole new name. Yeah, like what? <laughs> um, and, you know, I would never pick such a basic name like Donald. Like who just wants Donald? That's how you get away with having an alias. Yeah, I guess. Because I would remember like a, like a no Venus something. You if it's normal. That's true. I'd be like John Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So Matt was a Flint, Michigan native, but then moved to Chicago to pursue a modeling career. People described him as a good kid who was bright and articulate. He ran away from his house and wound up at a halfway house on Chicago's north side. June 30th, 1991, Matt met Jeffrey after a gay pride parade at a at Chicago's at a Chicago bus station and agreed to ride back to his Milwaukee apartment. I'm like, you don't even know this man, and you're just like, yeah, I'll go. I've been like that. <laughs> How are you still here? I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Uh, Once they arrived, he drugged, strangled, and dismembered Matt's body. Debbie Hindi, the director of the teen living program he was a part of, stated, He was basically a good kid. He was bright and articulate. This whole thing was very sad, end quote. And he lost his life at the age of 20. Next is Jeremiah Benjamin Weinberger. Jeremiah was of Jewish and Puerto Rican descent and relocated to Chicago and worked as a customer service representative for a video store. Similar to Matt, uh, Jeremiah came across Jeffrey at Carol's Speakeasy located on Chicago's, I said that weird, (laughs) Chicago, (laughs) Uh, Chicago's near north side in Old Town. On July 6, 1991, the two men took a Greyhound bus from Chicago to Milwaukee. His friends and family never saw him again, and Chicago was covered in flyers with his face. So they were, like, really persistent on trying to locate him. He was at Jeffrey's apartment for four days, and then he ended up spiking his drink. So, you know, for those four days, they were carrying on... You know, as adults do, mm-hmm. a, a little fling. Yeah. Um, however, he did not want Jeremiah to leave. So he decided once he was completely subdued to drill into his head. He injected acid and boiling water into the frontal lobe of his brain. He wanted to create his very own sex zombie. One that would never have the ability to think for himself or more importantly, leave. It was honestly amazing when I read this part as it turned out that the torture didn't kill him instantly. Oh, wow. He was initially groggy when he came to, so then Jeffrey drugged him again, but that made him slip into a coma, and he fought for his life for about a day and a half. After seeing that Jeremiah 
was strong and basically a miracle, he strangled him to death just to make sure that he was actually dead. Then he severed his head, placed it in the freezer uh, for preservation, and then dismembered his body with the chainsaw. Mind you, he lived in a fucking apartment. Yeah, I was wondering that, You too. don't hear a chainsaw? I definitely would. I feel like... Yeah, you I'm hear everything nosy. in apartments. You do. Like, everything. hmm And I know there was reports that his neighbors, especially Glenda, made phone calls to the police. A lot, yeah. So, I... Oh, God. Just... I'm mad. He then placed Jeremiah Jeremiah's torso in a 57-gallon blue drum with acid, the one that was seen on the news being lugged out by people in hazmat suits. Mm. His roommate, Tim Gideon, stated he loved art and was very meticulous. His desk was always straight, and he knew where everything was. He always dressed nice and always worried about what he wore and how he looked like. End quote. In July of 1991, his family was given his remains for his burial. He died at the age of 23. Next is Oliver Joseph Lacey. Oliver was the youngest of three sons. He had a two-year-old child named Emmanuel, and he was engaged to be married. He lived in Oak Park, Illinois, and enjoyed running in the River Forest High School track when he was in high school. His mother, Catherine Lacey, described her son as very outspoken. You know, he was loud. (laughs) That's all they say. (laughs) He wore a cross around his neck that belonged to his late father. He then moved to Milwaukee from Chicago within months of his father's death. On July 12, 1991, Jeffrey and Oliver met and he offered to pay Oliver if he posed for him. Oliver agreed, but then Jeffrey drugged him and then strangled him. Unfortunately, Jeffrey defiled his body after he had died by raping him. Jeffrey then took out Oliver's heart and put it in the freezer along with his head and severed hands. After everything, he decided that all of that wasn't enough and he ate his heart. He was identified by his severed hands and by personal identification items that Jeffrey kept as tokens. He died at the age of 23. And then we have Joseph Arthur Braidhoft. Joseph had recently moved into a Milwaukee apartment rented by his brother, Donald. He was looking for work having recently lived in Illinois and Minnesota and needed some income he had a wife and three kids in Minnesota, aging, um, ranging from two to seven years old. He loved the outdoors, especially sports and fishing. On July 16, 1991, he left the home to go to a job interview, but instead he met Jeffrey at the bus stop, stop near Marquette University campus, and we all know things and badly when you meet Jeffrey. Right. Jeffrey and Joseph partook in sexual acts and after Jeffrey drugged him and strangled him with a strap. He then placed his torso and the blue drum and then placed his head in the freezer. He was Jeffrey's final victim before Tracy Edwards 
ran out of Jeffrey's apartment after being subjected to murderous behavior. uh, Joseph lost his life at the age of 25. I'm going to talk about Tracy Edwards. Although he was not a murder victim, he was a victim of demented behavior and assault for over five hours in the 213 apartment at the Oxford Apartments. On July 22nd, 1991, he went home with Jeffrey after meeting at a gay bar. Jeffrey offered Tracy money if he could come back and pose for for pictures. And Tracy agreed and was okay with the situation until Jeffrey opened the door and noticed foul odor coming mm. out right away. He instantly knew that, that, that this was an okay and he wanted to leave. He then spotted several boxes of acid on the floor and a blue drum in the corner. But Jeffrey then just ended up handcuffing one of his wrists and then threatening him with a knife. Tracy then pretended to be into it by posing for him. However, Jeffrey would get upset every time he made a run for it or tried to persuade him to let him leave. But eventually, due to quick thinking and maneuvering, like he legit punched him dead in the face with all of his force. Good. Knocked him on his ass. And Tracy escaped the apartment and led Robert... Officer Robert Roth and Rolf Mueller back to his apartment. Tracy Edwards survived Jeffrey Dahmer and brought down his whole, the whole life of crime in one night. Good for him. So I'm going to end this portion. This was only to shed light on all of these men's cases. They were all important. All had lives. All were taken way too soon. And it, did not matter what kind of skin color they had, what race, sexual orientation, social economic class, or way of life, they all mattered. So I'm just going to name them off. Stephen Hicks, Stephen Tuami, Jamie Doxter, Richard Guerrero, Anthony Sears, a.k.a. Ricky Beeks, Edward Smith, Ernest Miller, David Thomas, Curtis Strotter, Errol Lindsay, Anthony Hughes, Kanderic Synthesomphone, Matt Turner, Jeremiah Weinberger, Oliver Lacey, and Joseph Braidhoft. May you rest in peace. That's all of his victims Great and all of their stories. So many. So fucking many. And, and just right in the middle of the city with yeah. neighbors all around. Yeah. It's just crazy. And I don't know if people know, but this whole picture scheme was really common, like, from the 70s to the 90s. Mm-hmm. Right. Where people would pay to take your picture, or people would act like they were an agent. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, come and get your picture taken. You know, I'm this agent. I can get you a modeling gig. Right. And, like, the Atlanta child murderer, that's how he was luring yeah. the kids, too. He was paying them to take pictures of them because they were struggling. Right, right. And who doesn't want to be like, oh, man, you noticed me? Like, uh-huh. this could be a potential career for me? Like, who wouldn't love that? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I would love that. Like, just right. anybody. Yeah. And that's how people got found right. before the internet. Right. Was from people like mm-hmm. legitimate people would come up to you at the mall or whatever there's models that were found just right. shopping at the mall exactly so that's like what everybody wanted yeah so it was a really common thing 
because people these days are probably like, why would people do that? But that was... Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. So next week, I'm doing the final episode on his life and the arrest and the trial. So we're almost done. All right. It's a long road. (laughs) All right. And I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back on my haunted hotels. So I'm going to talk about the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee to start. So this hotel is a very famous. It hosts lots of important famous people. Okay. It has hosted every United States president since William McKinney. McKinley. (laughs) I didn't even get that. Whatever whatever her name is. I don't care. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Elvis stayed there in 1977. What? Just four months before he died. And most notably, the hotel is often where visiting baseball teams stay when they play the Brewers. Oh, wait. I think I've heard of this. Yeah? Okay. Keep okay. going. And so, also, Megan Thee Stallion recently stayed there. Oh. Yeah. It's very famous. So, it, it's like an updated one then, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's old, but it's been updated. So... Some of the stories involve the Cardinals pitcher who woke up in the middle of the night and he jumped on Instagram and said that the ghost just touched him. Mm. The next day, he plays terribly. Mm. He blames it on the ghost. <laughs> and the city cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so, the city is like, the ghost only wants the Brewers to win. So, that's what it is. The ghost <laughs> is a Brewers fan. Right. Yeah. So, this ghost is fun. Yeah, the ghost is like, not in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, actor Joey Lawrence stayed there in 2006, and he said he was awakened in the night by lights and sounds coming from his daughter's toys. No. That used to happen at my house. Were they light-up toys? They were light-up musical toys. See, I wouldn't be getting my kids that. And <laughs> so, my son would wake up. And it would be early in the morning. He would just want to get out of his crib. So yeah. I would get him out of his crib so he could play with his toys on the floor. And then they would light up without him touching them. And he would be laughing. Mm-mm. He's the same one that was laughing at the baby ghosts at the cemetery. So apparently he could see lots of ghosts when he was a baby. Oh, my gosh. I was like, okay, ghost friends. <laughs> play with him. Play nicely. Play nicely. <laughs> I'm just looking like, I don't know what's going on. But he seems to enjoy it. Right. Everything's okay. Yeah. So... Ghosts like musical toys, so be careful if you have a baby. <laughs> this is kind of off topic a little bit, but uh, you know those Elmo mm-hmm. things? So I used to have one when I was little, and I would, like, suck on the eyeballs. <laughs> and I, like, sucked off the black part of the eye so it was just all white and it just looked so scary to everybody but i loved this elmo (laughs) and everybody was just freaked out that i was carrying around like this demon elmo (laughs) demon elmo and some of those elmos would just go off randomly too yeah i can't remember if it if it did say something because i know i think it might have yeah you like press the hand and it said something yeah they used to laugh Oh. Yeah. And then Megan the Stallion said that she saw the ghost when she was there for Summerfest. Oh. Yeah. And I feel like she wouldn't make that up. 
Yeah, she tweeted about it. Well, she didn't specifically say she saw a ghost. She said, how did we end up at the most haunted hotel in Milwaukee? So she's saying that there's a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So let's talk about who the ghost is. Okay. According to most people, the signs all point to Charles Pfister himself. He's the one who created the plans to build the hotel. And then he died before the hotel was finished getting built. Unfinished business. And his son carried on his legacy and had the hotel built according to his plans yeah but everybody thinks that he's just there now it it said like the ghost from our last hotel he really just loves his hotel he wants his guests to have a good time and he really wants the brewers to win i (laughs) do you think it's a prerequisite if you build a hotel that you're gonna always just haunt the hotel it seems like it. It really does seem like it. Like you just can't leave now. You see it, and I'm not going to build a hotel now. No. It sounds like <laughs> a whole, for sure whole career anyway. <laughs> if you if you have built a hotel, let us know. Let us know so we can see if you haunt it later. Yeah. <laughs> so, this hotel was built to be like super elegant, gorgeous. So, they think he just really wanted everybody to be happy and he doesn't trust the living people to make sure that his guests are properly taken care of <laughs> he's like i still gotta do this all on he's my own. like you guys are not doing this right yeah but and the new owners they some publications have tried to reach out to them and they don't comment on this at all they just really like, this isn't going on i love that they're like yeah. what ghost <laughs> right so guests and staff have spied um charles fister i hope i'm saying their name right um, and they said he's good-natured, portly gentleman standing on the hotel staircase, observing <laughs> the lobby. He's just standing there, smiling, watching everything. Like, let me make sure my staff is doing their job properly. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, what's portly? <laughs> I think oh. it means chunky. Oh, like, oh, he's... <laughs> like he's round. Oh, that's so cute. I w- if I ever was round, I'd be want to, I'd want to be described as portly. <laughs> right. <laughs> His apparition is also being seen strolling around the gallery above the ballroom Mm. and also on the ninth floor. So glamorous. And apparently he still exercises his dogs as well because they've heard little dog ghosts frolicking in the hallway. Get out of here. Like he's playing. Frolicking. (laughs) Frolicking. That's so damn cute. I love that. Him and his dogs are just running around. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love this. Yeah. These are happy ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Guests who have stayed here um, have also decided to reside in the favorite rooms of Charles and the dogs. They must enjoy their company. Okay. Yeah. And lots of visiting baseball players have told their experiences to a lot of different sources. So there's baseball players like Michael Young, Bryce Harper, Mike Cameron, Carlos Gomez. I can't talk today. Carlos Gomez, (laughs) Iman Choi, Clinton Hurdle, Colby Lewis, Arian Beltre, and John Gray all have said that they've experienced a variety of paranormal activity. And if they put it all together, it would be, like, every paranormal thing you can think of. Mm. So they've heard disembodied voices, Mm -hmm. knocking on doors when no one was living there. 
pounding with a hand on the other side of the headboard. I don't know what I would do if I'm laying in bed and I hear pounding on the other side of my headboard. Like, still in the room, but on I the would, other side of the headboard, I'm going to go. I would be mad. I need to go. Yeah, I'd be mad. Why I'd be are like, you messing with me? I can't I'm trying sleep. To sleep. Right. Just let me sleep. <laughs> right. Um, footsteps and stomping has been heard by one ball player, but he said it stopped when he asked the spirit not to wake him up again. <laughs> you can hang out here, but don't wake me up again. The, right. The noise stopped. I mean, that's a... That's how I am when I think I hear a ghost. That's fair. <laughs> like, dude, trying to rest. Seriously. Can you do your shenanigans quietly? Or do them when I leave in the morning? I don't see, like, a fairer thing to ask for. Yeah. Go sit down somewhere until right. this morning. Go disturb the kids. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Could you imagine if you just disturb the kids? Oh, my God. And... One player said they had their uniform neatly laid out, and it was found the next morning on the floor, clear across the room. Hmm. Yeah. Like, no. We don't like you. Wear your jersey. Right. Yeah, they, they're really big Brewer fans. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Doors have opened and shut by themselves. Window blinds go up and down by themselves. I guess some spirits like to look out the window. Oh, that's nice. I would. Yeah. TVs, iPods, iPhones, air conditioners, and other devices have had a mind of their own. Mm -hmm. And some ballplayers have seen actual apparitions and a skeleton apparition in Uh, their room. Oh, no. That would scare me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be scarier than an actual person apparition. It's because there's no flesh. Yeah, I don't want to just see a ghost bones wandering around. Who, who, what happens to the rest of you? Yeah, I don't know how that even is processed, but it doesn't seem right to me. No, me either. And this one is scary, too. One ball player said he was laying on his side when he felt an unseen presence give him a hug from behind and whisper in his ear. Did he say what? <laughs> I would ask. Yeah. Like, yeah, what do you need? <laughs> Well, I meant, Thanks like, what What did he whisper? Or what was I whispered? Don't know. I don't know. Damn it. Like, thanks for the hug. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm just trying to rest. <laughs> I'm trying to cuddle you so you could sleep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so weird. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Now, the next hotel I'm going to talk about today is the Hotel Mead in Wisconsin Rapids. And this has been the subject of numerous paranormal investigations, even though a lot of people say they don't hear any paranormal activity. A lot of people say it's really haunted. So the story is that there was someone that was murdered in the basement. According to the legend, in 1953, a female bartender was stabbed to death in what used to be a bar, which is now a storage area. And the stabbing, of course, has never been confirmed. Oh, my God. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Wisconsin Rapids police suck. Right. Character listening. (laughs) (laughs) So, at the Hotel Mead, people have claimed that they can smell the distinct odor of spilled blood when standing 20 feet away from their room. That is a horrible fucking smell. If you've ever been around a massive amount of blood, it's disgusting. Is it? Does it kind of smell like, like rust? Yeah, like coppery. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would rather smell that than a, the actual dead body. 
yeah, blood is going to be better than like decomp. But mm-hmm. I think I would still throw up. Yeah. If it's a lot of blood. I don't know. Are you a puker? No. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not. But just a whole bunch of blood. Yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest. I don't know if I would throw up. I, I don't, don't think I, I mean, I've smelled blood before, but I don't know if I've smelled a pool of blood. I had an incident where there was like a large amount of blood in my bathtub. It was not mine and I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> I was going to say, why do you, why is there instances that you have pools of blood around you? We'll talk about that later. It was quite disturbing. So maybe this is it's triggering. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And... Also, the lights have been known to flicker in a spooky manner. I think whenever the lights flicker, it feels like it's in a spooky manner. Unless it's just one quick flicker. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, that's just, you know, lights being lights. Yeah. But slow flickering, fast flickering, mm-hmm. uh, c- continued flickering. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. spooky. It's always spooky. The room is always a very cold temperature. Even though people claim there's no reason why it should be so chilly. For that, I have to say it is the basement. Mm. We are in Wisconsin. Yeah. So that happens. And it's cooler in the basement. Mm-hmm. Doors are slammed shut by themselves. That happens everywhere, I think. I don't... You can't really explain that away. No. Doors slamming? Do doors slam often where you live? Yes. Oh my gosh, but you're haunted. I think I am. Because that doesn't happen in my house. Your doors don't open and close by themselves? No! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, they do not. I <laughs> thought this is a normal No! <laughs> just like, oh, that's not a big deal. That is a big deal. <laughs> we need to, I don't know, get you a priest or something. I cleansed my house when I moved in. Clearly, it didn't work. I don't know if any of my doors have slammed in my new house yet. We'll have to see. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna do some something. <laughs> Group paranormal investigation. <laughs> All the ghosts are just attached to me. Yeah, like ten of them around oh me. Oh my gosh, I'm in danger. <laughs> <sighs> so the River City's Paranormal Society conducted an investigation in that room, but they said they found no evidence of a haunting. And they said they were able to debunk the claims of feelings of dread from high EMF readings. Smells of blood could be from nearby chemicals. And the noticeable coldness could be from the fact that the room was located underground, like mm-hmm. I said. But still, people swear the place is haunted. They don't care what these people said. They're like, no, it's haunted. And the residents are going to keep going with that. Okay. I mean, they probably experience more than anybody. Right. Maybe the ghosts didn't want to play with the investigators. Right. Like, why are you here? Right. And I feel like they typically don't. No. They they only expose themselves to people that do not want it. Generally, yeah. Just like people. Yeah. Or people like they really like. Like if you're really kind and empathetic and they're like, maybe I could tell you about my problems. <laughs> and that's when i tune out <laughs> like i don't want to hear about the ghost problems no i'm, I'm good to go i got enough problems on my plate i don't need ghost problems <laughs> all right so those are my two haunted hotels for today that was good i really needed that thank you and you're welcome. Then, um, 
going to talk about something else spooky to end spooky month next week, too. Yeah, we're almost done yeah. with this month. Are you dressing up? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a place to go and be dressed up at, so I don't know. Me either, but I still might dress up. I know. I kind of want to dress up. I think I'm going to be the devil. Mm. I yeah. think I think I want to be. I'm debating between. I, you guys can help me if you want to. Yeah. But I want to be either a chola, or I want to be Mia Wallace from uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh. And I do like the whole bloody nose and like her in that seizure where she's ODing. Hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. You want to go very dark <laughs> for Halloween. Right. <laughs> it's either, you know. I'm going to be in sexy double. There you go. <laughs> a little tiny red dress. <laughs> I, see, that's, that, that works. Well, we could just dress up and take pictures. Ooh, that sounds like a good idea. Even if we don't go anywhere. Or we could just go somewhere random. Ooh, like Hobby Lobby. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I fucking love that. Walmart. <laughs> no, you have to be the devil in Hobby Lobby. Just piss oh my them God, off. I should. Yeah. You're I think right. I think we have plans now. Yes. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to us. We love you. And we love you. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love you. you.